0: So we've been in 2 Corinthians 2, 8, and 9, um, and um, it, it's about giving, and it's uh, a real practical stuff that's going on. And uh, so we're going to finish up with 8 and 9. Um, and Paul's writing, and he's kind of like the main Christian leader in the day at, at this point, and he's helped start this church in Corinth. and. Um, he has um already na- navigated with them their gift to go to the church that's in jerusalem because the church in jerusalem has been um under uh, several many and one severe famine and so this is just it's a very practical pastoral letter um to uh the folks in corinth and what we said from the beginning and paul starts it off in early in eight that um that that God's grace is the thing that generates our generosity. It's the theme of the entire uh, set of passages that he has. So I want to read to you, um, well, 9-5 through 9-9. Um, through nine, nine, nine. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully each one of us of us must give as he's decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he says, He, God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. And his righteousness endures forever. Oh, Lord, would you help us have ears to hear, a mouth to speak, eyes to see, your wonderful grace. Amen. All right. So, Grace generates generosity, is the theme of chapters 8 and 9. But we want to kind of break it down a little further. It says that grace generates generosity in a kind of habitual practice and for an eternal purpose. The scriptures uh, teach us to practice generosity. Not so much that everything in the Old Testament or the New Testament is prescribed to us, but it gives us a, uh, a picture of how things worked and how the beautiful uh, and beloved community of God would, would live out their generosity. So I want to give you a little bit of the context of the practice uh, that's in Scripture with respect to generosity. The Old Testament had a complete economic system of generosity or for generosity. And it was a beautiful system. It was all born of God's grace that He would take them out of Egypt and give them a land, and that they would um, be able to work that land for the sake of themselves and their neighbors. Here's how it worked. There were three tithes that existed in the Old Testament. Tithe means tenth. I went to seminary for that, so you're welcome. <clears throat> there was a Levitical tithe, or you would call a worship tithe, and that tithe was 10 percent of everyone's incomes out of numbers that was given to the levites the folks that were uh, there to plan and prep that um th- that worship and a portion of that a tithe of that actually went to the priests who did the work it was about the organized worship of god so yes every redeemer we we pay our staff as we prepare it worship and And that's everything from air conditioning units, if you haven't experienced that a little bit today, um, uh, to mic cords, to communion supplies, to the all-important goldfish for the children. For the children. There was also, I can't tell you how many times my 10 to 15-year-olds were caught back there eating some goldfish. So um, the second prescribed tithe was the feast tithe. And think about this for a second. All the celebrations and meals and activities surrounding all the festivals of Israel. And Israel liked to have some feasts and festivals. There was another 10% that went to that. And it was not an accessory, it was a priority to live our lives together. That's why, you know, it is wise to spend money on our Wednesday gatherings as a church with blow-up slides and food provided, right? We call them jump jumps, I don't know what they're really, really called. Paying for food trucks and feasts is excess, expensive, but it is not excessive in the ethic of God's people. Because God's people gather to lounge in His goodness, to repose in His grace, to bask in His provision, and we do that together and then invite our neighbors to do that with us. The last tithe was a tithe. That was ten percent over three years, so three point three three percent a year, um, and that comes out of Deuteronomy, um, um, and it's what um, it, it's about being. Um, uh, it was an alms tithe if you will, or a tithe for the poor, and hospitality for people who were welcome into the community, sojourners in the land that could then come and have a place to live and eat. It stems from the Old Testament and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, for the use of the Levites and the poor and the community and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. So, this third one, which was a third of a tithe, tithe um, is, is kind of what we embody with the Hawthorne house. Look, man, we could sell that thing. It's a pretty hot market, though it's just waning a little bit. We could sell that thing. I looked up on Zillow about 400. It's not what it's about, it's about giving a space, creating, preparing a space for people to come and sojourn who have no place to lay their head. That's what that's about. It's literally our gift, our try to manifest this way of life together as for the sojourner and those who don't have a place to be. So my job or my desire isn't to just like tell you this is exactly what's supposed to happen. There's some complications and difficulties and there's Old Testament, there's New Testament. Um, But I'm not prescribing these, but I would love it to capture our imaginations. To, what would it look like to live on, you know my math here, 76.33% of our income, and the rest to be oriented towards these kinds of things? Now, now the, to, to, to speed up through all of the context of where Paul is in this moment, Paul is actually not talking about the tithe at all, non, none of those three tithes at this point. This is, and this may not be a familiar distinction with you because we often use them uh, interchangeably, but in the Old Testament, uh, there was a difference between a tithe and an offering. And the offering, the tithe was kind of automatic. The offering was when something came up, uh, uh, or you had extra, or there was great need, you would give above and beyond that tithe and offer more, Each of the towns around uh israel would 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 have their own uh, ability to receive these offerings along with the alms that they had given in the tithe and then they would distribute accordingly as they saw fit so when 9 5 says so i thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that you may be be um be ready as a gift and not as an extraction he's He's uh, purposefully talking about this offering. This is a gift that you want to give. It's above and beyond. It's not the automatic, you could even say mandatory, tithe that typically exists. Again, this is about Jerusalem and how much they've been struggling and how little that they have. And so this is, he says, a great opportunity for you to go ahead and give as you intended to do, and that's called an offering. Now, like I said before, depending on your church um, experience that you might have um, equated those things, and I'm not really care about the words per se, but but just this orientation of the context of the practice of generosity was built into Israel and to Paul and to the early Christians was to give a steady chunk away as a regular part of your life, and then to have these offerings that you give when God bless something abundantly, or that you had a kind of you know, you won the lottery or something, because, you know, the Israel lottery back in the day was pretty, pretty significant. Um, thank you for one laugh on that. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so, that's the whole thing about Titus coming to pick this up, and it, it's not an extraction. This is like the gift. This is a bounty of your giving, and this is awesome. It's an above and beyond kind of gift. You heard last week that we received a pretty large gift. Um, an offering is what it was. It was above and beyond gift, I'm assuming. And thank you so much for praying for our leaders who have been praying and working through to get that. The initial meeting was really good about how we would do that. And we have to work out kinks, and we need a communication plan, which I'm not in charge of, so um, I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that. Other than this, the instinct, which I think is beautiful, and the agreed-upon reality was, can we create, uh, use this wonderful gift, this offering, as a way of shaping our church's ability to give more offering, to use it like the talents uh, in, the, in the parable that Jesus told, to help jumpstart more giving uh, to area, areas that we want to prioritize or respond to things and needs within our congregation to create a culture of giving not just the incredible generosity of our ties but then thinking about even even exploding that generosity into offerings and other things like that and we want to create kind of buckets to carry that generosity that is born in us not just for the sake of the fact that ACs break down but for the sake of our neighbors as well so thank you again for your uh, prayers and uh, you are y'all are just generous people you really are Grace might have got a hold of some of y'all. God's kindness might have got a hold of y'all. Because I've got people asking me about counseling needs and setting up a fund for that, that go beyond the emergency stuff that we already provide. i got folks, Murph will be glad to hear this, who really want to give more to youth ministry to help Murph out along the way, and ready to write checks. I got people who want to renovate buildings and create places and spaces um, uh, that, that are not just to the beautifying of the welcome of God, but also and thinking about honoring Pastor Tripp and John Engel. People wanting to do this. And I, I know of at least two people who want to develop our caffeine ministries through the coffee. <laughs> so that when people come, they taste and see the goodness of the Lord. <laughs> Seriously, y'all, y'all are incredibly generous. We want to use this incredible offering, this offering we got, to kind of figure out how to do more of that kind of stuff. So pray for us as we continue on and stay tuned when someone other than me creates the communication plan um, about that. We want to sow the generosity of God into every nook and cranny of our lives and to the lives of our neighbors. That's what the, the kind of economic giving system of Israel was, and what Paul is attending to in this place. And I tell you all this because Paul also knows we can get a little wonky about money sometimes, and so he says, and what I'm trying to tell you is, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the sight of men as well, and that's what we're trying to do. All right, so... What should your practice of giving be? Get this question a lot. Usually, I I, I do some dodging in the middle of it. Are we supposed to give 10%? That's the big question. Are we supposed to tithe? And is that fully to the church? And then is it on gross or take home? Those are the questions I get. Look, in the end, after I dodge around and try to figure out where the hearts are and see what the question is, I usually say two things. Ain't none of it yours anyway. And a tithe is a really good idea to your local church. And they'd be as generous as possible into your offerings. That's kind of what I say. But never, ever, ever forget that it's not yours. I make a joke every time I pay for a meal as the pastor. I say, this one's on Jesus. <laughs> but if they pay for it, it's just as much on Jesus as anyone else. As any, When I do it, it's all on Jesus. Every nickel you have. Is Jesus's, and it's yours to steward in light of who Jesus is. So, for some of you who might be feeling shame about your money game, struggle with those difficulties. God's laws and God's guidance in the Old Testament and the New are not for your shame. They are for your good. And if you're struggling, hear this come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost all right the practice it's important We can talk through it y'all have discussions with each other about this let someone else but you and your family know your finances it's terrifying and good for your soul and theirs not someone's gonna be extra judgy or extra don't worry about it just do you just someone you can trust and love and loves you But all that is really, and it is all really important because our practices do matter. The thing that Paul kind of ends this whole section with, though, is not the practice of it, but the purpose of it. When someone someone says, the point is this, that's the purpose. And he says that in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you, like to take the pressure off and put it on kind of rightly, everybody needs to just decide in their heart how they're going to give. But make sure it's not reluctantly or under some false compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver because he made us cheerful by his grace. And so he wants us to operate out of that grace. And then he says, and he'll make all um, grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. Because he, God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. And his righteousness endures forever the rightness of his character the rightness of his life the rightness of the life that he calls us to the righteousness that he makes us it makes us because of the sacrifice and beauty of who jesus was in his life death resurrection and second coming all that righteousness all that rightness will endure forever and he's manifesting us into those kinds of people the purpose of generosity Is to demonstrate God's grace. God's grace generates generosity for the purpose of demonstrating God's grace. It is a beginning and an end kind of thing. He's the source and purpose. This grace is the source and purpose of His generosity. The grace comes, provides for you, so that you can abound in every good work, showing His grace. Grace commences and grace culminates. That's what it is. So then we just go about giving our stuff away as we can. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. You'd only put a couple seeds out in the field. Guess what? Only gonna get a couple seeds back. You put a lot out in the field. Not too much. Not that I know anything about farming. But a proper bountiful amount and typically bounty returns. What it, what Paul's saying is that you're you're. Your bank ledger is your testimony. How we spend our money is declarative. Now we have to ask ourselves, what, is it, what are our bank ledgers declaring? And that's a hard question, not given to you in shame. But let's just be honest, we all use money to show off. I mean, like my amazing T-shirt. Didn't have to get that one, probably won a couple bucks cheaper, but come on, got to show off. We just got to make sure what we're showing off with our money because our money is showing off something. And he's saying what it needs to show off is the fact that your heart and lives have been transformed by the grace of God, the one who became poor so that we might become rich, the one who gave himself fully so that we might live. That's all it's saying. I know some people who take this really seriously. Very, very seriously, both in the way they think about tithing and their offerings. Friends of mine who are probably now multimillionaires, about 30 years ago, they realized they were going to be rich. And so they started thinking very seriously about how they would give their money away, how they could show off God's grace to the world. They searched the nation for people who would help them when they realized that they would be rich. And they finally settled on a plan to work their way up to 50% of their income. And now, I haven't talked to them in a while, but I know their goal was to get to 90. Amazing. Only God's grace can do something like that, because everything in the world says, Mo' money, Mo' power. I got it. I need it. It's for me. But, this, but I don't want you to get just, oh, well, they obviously have enough to live on the 10% deal. Because the same thing is applied elsewhere. Martin Luther King used to tell the story when he was visiting um, a school in Mississippi, where every day the teacher would take her lunch and try to fill it as much as she could, because she knew none of her twelve students had eaten breakfast or will eat lunch. And the day he got there, all she had was an apple, and she cut it into twelve slices and gave it to her children. It's the same thing. Or Kozal tells the story of an East St. Louis kid who was given money, he was like 10 years old, was given money to go get two slices of pizza for his six people in his family. Walking home, he had the two slices, but he came across a family. That was homeless, that didn't have any. And he gave one away. Kozol asks him, who's a research psychiatrist, says, Did you think your parents would be mad? And he answered, No, they were hungry. (laughs) So whether it's the bazillionaire or the person with the kid with two pieces of pizza, it's how do you show off God's grace with the resources we have? And only God's grace can generate that kind of generosity, looking to him. I hope that answers the question about whether it's a tithe, grocer, take-home, or whatever, about our tithing plans or offering plans. It doesn't mean they're not plans. They are planned. But to think carefully about every nickel you have. I don't care if it's a crypto nickel. It's probably less than a crypto nickel right now. It has one purpose, to show what kind of God that we have, who's given us every gift that we have. That is the purpose of our resources. That's what happened with the widow and her mite. It happened when Zacchaeus, who had ill-gotten gain, gave it away plus interest. What happens in the early church when they said they would have no needy among them. That's what we're attending to. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says a cheerful giver. So the question for us, as we look at our ledgers, is how we can we best use the resources God gave us to show off who God is and how he's loved us. That is the underlying ethic for it all. I want to say this. Nothing in our world will, deliver, will, will, will encourage us in this direction. And so we need each other. We need to celebrate when gifts like this happen, whether it's a widow's mite or a large gift that we received earlier. I even hate to say the word large. It is large numerically. But, but in the kingdom, the mite and, the, and the, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars are the same thing. And yet I want to celebrate that. I want to end by just having compassion for you and me. Living in this world economically is hard. It's real hard. And it's like 8.5% harder now with inflation, if I have that number right. We struggle to manage our resources. Some of us because we don't simply have enough. Some of us because we spend too much. Some of us, we don't manage them well because we've hoarded too much. The beauty of the gospel of grace that generates our generosity is that it's the same solution for all of us. It's Jesus and his power and his grace and looking to him as our true God and not mammon. Mammon is a cruel God. Jesus is a kind God. So if you are experiencing this sermon or when you look at your ledger and that exposes guilt or shame or makes you mad or makes you feel self-justified, you are not alone. It might be because you really struggle with spending too much. The solution is God's grace. Turn to Jesus of your sin and reorient to him, the one who loves you and has given you everything you need. Run to him so you can know that nothing you buy gives you meaning. But he does. And he loves you. And he didn't get into this thing with you because you were good with your money. For those of you who don't have a lot of money, remember it's not about the amount, it's about the purpose. The might and the shared lunch and the piece of pizza brings great. Great honor to our Lord Jesus. He celebrates it. He's giddy about it. And you are declaring the kind of God you have. And if you get in a place where you do not have resources for food and shelter, we have the Deacon's Fund. It is our alms tied. You can come and receive what you need to live. And you think it, if you think your money's about how well you work, the great job you do, and it's yours and you made it, don't be fooled. It's been a gift. Jesus will forgive you too and fuel you to renounce Mammon as your God, who is a cruel God and will ultimately ruin you. And he offers you himself as he is the generous one. And he will never treat you as cruelly as Mammon does. So run to him by his generous grace. But for all of us, y'all, this stuff is hard. I don't know anybody really winning at this game. So take a breath. It's okay. God's never loved you because you had your finances in order. Because you're more generous than your friends. And he's not waiting to love us until we get it all right he just loved us loves us he died for us rose from the dead and now reigns and he is the one who made himself poor so that we might be rich not necessarily in this life but as i said before there's nothing wrong with the prosperity gospel except for the timeline one day trying to make us people who use all of our resources as mirrors to the glory and generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the key is, if you're struggling, turn to the gracious one. If you're doing well but feeling a little anxious these days, turn to the gracious ones. If you're hurting and not sure if you can give more but want to, turn to the Lord Jesus, the gracious one. At the end of the day, he is the beginning and the end of all generosity that exists in us amen all right so i'm gonna we've been trying to do pastoral prayers toward the end uh, at the end of the sermon before uh, the lord's supper and um, i have one for us today it's a prayer in light of the reality of um, several of the supreme court decisions or at least two of the supreme court decisions that have come down and then have hit my mailbox Um, and they are of course uh, the ones about abortion and its end and um, uh, uh, gun rights as well and i don't know if you know our congregation very well we're pretty purple politically speaking and our state is somewhat purple and so what i'm going to try to do is um, is in what I've asked and had the elders read before, and it's just to pray that, that in light of all these decisions, in light of the lots of confusion about what states where and how this and what does it affect for North Carolina and what are, all those other things, that we would just be the kind of people that would be about the flourishing of life from womb to tomb always. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know us, you love us. You know we're all over the place politically, and you know that every email I got was oriented to the flourishing of your image bearers, and I thank you for that. Thank you for making us love people. (laughs) And this land in which we sojourn has made some decisions, and, and some people are feeling confused, and some people are feeling elated, and some people are feeling frustrated, and I'm getting emails to to either uh, protest or do a happy dance, and all this stuff about these two decisions is just, it's just tough. And some are just still curious and unsure and anxious, and some are are hopeful, and and we're just, we're kind of all over the place, and yet you've made us people who want life to be preserved and flourish. We thank you for that. Help us amid our difficult strategies of or differences in strategies and how we think that might work we beg you to show us yourself more beautifully as the god of justice and mercy and faithfulness and beauty and show us how to live out our command from you to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you towards our neighbors we need you to help us not rely on the power that comes from either our state or culture or social issues or any of that stuff but on your power and your wisdom, how to engage and serve uh, for the sake of our neighbors and fellow members who are all over the place. We desperately need you to continue to help us preserve the dignity and flourishing of every image bearer that we see or know of. We pray that each of us would see your truth and beauty and love. And we pray especially that the following would see your beauty beauty truth and love we pray for this for the women who are confused and concerned about what the their state allows and, and what it requires and their friends and um, all that stuff we pray for we pray this for the unborn children who are unwanted we pray this for those who sense the need uh, to carry guns on their person and we pray this for those who are afraid of those who sense the need to carry guns on their person. And without judgment on any of these crowds, these folks, we pray that we would be a people who saw and loved, who cared for well, who had, were not people of judgment, but people of mercy, ready to give it as greatly as we've received it from you. We pray that your spirit would transform us into this kind of people, that we would bear witness to your resurrection, your life, a life eternal. We pray this in your name. Amen.